Lord, we love you. And we recognize what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we've had an opportunity to confess and also to be reminded of the assurance that comes through Christ Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. Father, that is such good news. Because we, Lord, we are sinners in desperate need of your grace. So, Father, I pray for your help um, and be with me, Lord, as we open the word of God in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if you want to turn to your, your Bibles, whether or turn it on or turn to it, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you in case you don't have one, you'd like to look at it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 and on, where I'm also going to highlight part of chapter 16 as well. But ma mainly we're looking at uh, the Canaanite woman right there in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. Matthew 15, verse 21. We've been in a series called The Disciple Maker. This is about Jesus making his disciples. Um, a couple of weeks ago, well, actually three or four weeks ago, where we were in the text, we were dealing with uh, a question going on, the question of what defiles a man, what defiles a person. Jesus is interacting with the religious people of his day, and they're dealing with that particular issue. And what comes out of that, uh, I know I'm not going to give the whole text, but just give you a little, little synopsis of what takes place. And in dealing with that question, what defiles you, um, Jesus is confronted by the, the, uh, the, the leaders in his day, the religious leaders who are asking, why is it that his disciples do not wash their hands? Like, in keeping with the traditions with the, the elders, and what he's referring to is actual traditions that they had. And because they, they didn't do those. And so for them, it would be to defile themselves, and they really want to make a big issue out of it. And Jesus' big point is this, that it's not what goes into you, what defiles you, what goes into your mouth and into your stomach. It's actually what comes out of your heart, what defiles you, and that is sin. That is what defiles the man. That's what defiles a person. It's sin. Now, ironically, and actually purposefully in the passage, what's going to happen here is Jesus is moving from region, two major regions. One is a more Jewish region to a more Gentile region. Now, that's important, and, and uh, with the text, it's important with what's happening geographically with what Jesus is doing, who he's interacting with, because it means he's interacting with, with Jewish folk who have a Jewish background and a Bible background and a Gentile folk who do not, who have a different type of background. Now, in doing that, ironically, what you see is Jesus is going into this Gentile region where he's going to be dealing with someone from the perspective of the readers, from the listeners, from the people who he had just interacted with. They're going to just think unclean. Now, that's going to come, that's going to actually, we're going to understand that more and more as we go through it. But I want to, I want to go right into the text right now. I'm actually going to read it, and then we're going to talk about some, some issues in the passage. We'll deal with a major question of the passage, and then uh, we'll, we'll get application going as well. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, it says this, And Jesus went away from there with, excuse me, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. 
And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. It's a really interesting passage. It's actually a really phenomenal passage. All the scripture is, of course, but this one's really intriguing to me right now. Maybe because I've been into in it a lot lately, but but it's really it's it's extremely fascinating in terms of who comes to him and how he deals with her and her actual reaction to Jesus. Um, it raises a really important question: is how should we come to Jesus, or how should we approach Jesus? And that answer will come. But there's some things that come up through the passage that are actually very fascinating because Jesus seems to just kind of put her off, doesn't he? She's coming to him, and he, there's these things that kind of come up that are kind of odd, aren't there? You know, like, wh- why did the disciples respond like this? They, you know, Jesus, first of all, he doesn't answer her. You know, what, what, what's going on with that? And then, and then secondly, you know, what about um, the disciples? Why are they, what, are they, what do they mean by, you know, Jesus just kind of like send her off? What's going on there? And then why does Jesus refer to her as, you know, like the dogs? Now, some commentators say some different, a lot of different things there, and some try to say like little puppies, but, but at the end of the day, he's like really putting her off, and, and like he kind of equates like, like her group with these dogs. And as you know, if you've read some Bible, you know that there's, um, there's the, the Gentiles are perceived and, as, as the dogs, you know? And yet we also know that Jesus, as he walked through life and he, he's walking the earth, he, he does not sin, and his interaction with her is not sinful in any way. So what's going on there? And then, well, and anyway, and, and so those are some, some of the questions that kind of arise from just a, a plain reading of the text. So let's go back, and we'll, let's look at the very beginning. Let's start with the region. It says in verse 21, And Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This is extremely important that we understand this, this whole area um, in connection not only with the region, but also the person that comes up to her. Behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out crying. So we have a couple things going on here that the people that are, that are re- listening, observing, are just going to take note of immediately. But first of all, the region. The region is a Gentile region, okay? And secondly, the person that comes to Jesus is a Gentile, and not just any Gentile, but a Canaanite. Now, it's probably been a long time. Um, I shouldn't say that. It's not been a long time. Maybe it's been a while, though, since you've read your Old Testament, which you should read. You should read all of Scripture. But there's an, a, fa- a fascinating unfolding of the Canaanite people as you read the, the, the words of God and what leads up to this moment here. You see, look, w- 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 sorry, I heard like a little, nothing, nothing. I thought something was breaking. No big deal. When you hear about the Canaanite people, your first, the first time you hear about them is, well, let's just start from the beginning. You know, God makes his good creation, doesn't he? And man messes it up. Man sins. Man comes into the world made by God to enjoy his good creation, and he sins. But then God, in his grace, he provides a way for him. They, he, he kills an animal, and he clothes him, um, and he... He takes the man and the woman, and, 
and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, and the sin is devastating, but he makes this amazing, pronounces this amazing promise that one day the seed's going to crush the head of the serpent, and so they can long for and look to that day that would come. And then it doesn't take very long, about three chapters later in chapter 6, it gets really messed up all over again. And God is grieved at his heart over the world. You see, man is multiplied and they are just sinning continually, they're doing evil and wicked. And God has to actually deal with their sin. And he comes and he comes to Noah, an upright man, one who's like following God and, and he basically calls him and commands him to follow him and he God says he's going to actually destroy the earth because of the sin that's come into it, the kind of sin that's going on. And so God actually takes them and he shelters this household, Noah, and puts them in an ark and baptizes them in the flood of the water, sheltering them in the ark. And eventually they come out saved by God. And out of that come the, another whole batch of people and one of the people that come out is uh, the sons of, of Noah, Ham, who, has, who is basically the father of the Canaanites, the father of Canaan. Now, who are these people? Now, if you remember, when, when, uh, when Noah came out of the ark, he had this vineyard and he drank too much. You know, no, normally the stories, the Bible stories that happen in Sunday school, like, skip over this really important piece. But, you know, you know, it comes out of the ark, and there's really cool animals, and, but then Noah drinks too much, and he gets naked. And then one of the sons in the past, it actually really kind of mocks him, goes out to tell the other brothers. And this is the, this is the one who actually ends up being cursed by Noah. And he's like, your, your household is going to serve your, the others. And that's Canaan. That's the, how, that's, that's the whole, the people and the tribes of Canaan, okay? And they, and man, what happens to that whole line is just, just, just awful. Now what happens as, as life goes on, um, God is going to give the land to his people. He's going to rescue a people for himself and he's going to give them a land. And they go out to conquer the land that God has set, given them and he's going to go before them and conquer for them. And they go out and they, and they do that. Now, I, I realize that there actually might, as you hear that, there might be some hang-ups as you, as you hear the stories of the Old Testament and the land being given to the people of God, and, and they are instructed by God to go and wipe them out. Listen, this comes right from the book of Joshua, and there's two things in those. One is that they're going to, to destroy it, but the other thing is that they're going to obey everything that God has commanded. In Joshua chapter 11, verse 40, it says this, So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and Negev and the lowland and the slope, and all their kings he left none remaining but devoted to destruction all that breathed do you hear that he destroyed all that breathed just as the lord god of israel commanded now when you hear that you need to know that one that god is giving them the land and these people are an extremely wicked wicked people and we also know that all people are right but they do not worship the god of israel they worship other gods, and they do extremely evil and wicked things. But here's the thing you need to understand. Here's one of the things that will be helpful as you actually read these, these narratives and understand what God is doing. The only way to deal with sin is death. The only real way to deal with sin is death. Someone has to die. 
That's one of the things you see is God is giving the land. He cannot, you cannot have this wicked people that refuse to worship the one God of heaven um, live. And so they're to go and they're doing this. And so Joshua, so the, Joshua and the people of God, they, they go and they, they take the land and they, and they go wipe them out. And it's, and it's super, it's, it's incredibly gnarly, isn't it? They go and do this. And, and Joshua, uh, who come, you know, coming after Moses, they go and do that. And in chapter 24, verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and, and known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Like they, they faithfully served the Lord. But then without much time, um, they were given to this task to drive out these Canaanite people that were really, really wicked. And the point is this, the Canaanite people were an ancient enemy of Israel. They're an ancient enemy of Israel. Now what happens is they, uh, for a season, they're actually obeying God and they're wiping them out from the land. Joshua gets old and God comes to him and says, you're really old, you can't do this anymore. And they're really faithful and it doesn't take long for Israel to stop doing what they're commanded to do by God. They stop obeying what God has said. And when you get to the book of Judges, you actually see that unfolded. In, jo in Judges chapter 2, um, it says this, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is, what is this you have done? So now I say I will not drive them out before you, but they shall come, uh, they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. You know, one of the major reasons why God was telling them they had to wipe out all these Canaanite people in order to invade and take this land is because their gods would become your gods if you didn't. And those gods would be a snare to you. And then we read on in Judges chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. You see, now within a generation, they stopped listening, obeying the commands of God to go take the land and, and drive out these, these people and kill them. Um, and they began to take on their gods and worship their gods, and they abandoned the Lord, it says in verse 12. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. So God has been rescuing people for himself. He, he shelters them in the, in the ark, and they spread, and there's all kinds of wickedness that takes place. And God still rescues a, a people for himself, and they get, they get stuck in Egypt, and God rescues them out of Egypt, and they're to to do what God commands, and then within a generation, they forget their Lord, and they start worshiping these other gods. You see, who were the Canaanite people? Well, you know, for the Jewish mind, as they see Jesus interact with this woman, this woman, this Canaanite woman, they see an ancient enemy. They see someone that is not clean. They see the last person on earth that Jesus should talk to and heal. That's who they see. Now, I want to help you understand this just a little bit. Um, there's, there's a real local way to help us understand. There's a, a more, more yeah, kind of a more serious one and then maybe some, some softer ways. So some of you know that I, I actually uh, grew up, well, during my high school, junior high, junior high, high school days, I lived in Lake Elsinore. So with what I'm about to say, it, it's totally appropriate for me to say, okay? So um, you're like, what is coming? What is he going to say? So, so years ago, in the 90s, Huntington Beach used to do these, like, 4th of July parties. Now, back in those days, did you know, 
did you know that you were actually, there, there were no signs that said no alcohol. You could actually have alcohol on the beach. But then the 90s happened. And one of the events that happened in the 90s was a, a big 4th of July party and, and things got out of hand and people like basically started rioting and they set a car on fire and they did all this bad stuff. And the people of Huntington Beach were are clearly, usually you're not going to burn down your own city, but all the state, they, they blamed all the, the people from Riverside and Lake Elsinore. And so as you look at his, local history, Orange County, Riverside, and you hear like young people, even though it's kind of like forgotten, it's the people of 909 from their perspective. They came and burned our city. And therefore, now you have signs that say no alcohol on the beach and all these other things. And they're probably really careful. And, and so there's been this weird animosity like, oh, you know, they're from 909. Now, I can say that it's a true story because I lived in the 909, and they're right. I know something about the 909, and it's pretty bad. I had two meth labs blow up on my street. Like, it's actually true, okay? It's not, a good, it's not always, it's, there are good places, um, but, for the, but there's, like, a lot of bad stuff, you know? And so there's this, like, weird animosity when, when people from, like, perhaps Orange County and their perceptions of people from other counties, whether it be L.A. or Riverside, et cetera, people have these, they have these uh, prejudices against each other spoken, unspoken, kind of little, sometimes there's some history to it, but that's one of the things that happened. So if you go, if you would go, I would, I remember I was going and having a meal in Huntington Beach, and I remember, like, there was this article blaming the 909s, referring to an area code, you know, about what happened to them. So for Jesus, in the midst of this context, sitting among these people and about to deal with this Canaanite woman in the district of Tyre, they and sit in, they see someone that is the last person on earth that Jesus is going to show mercy to because she's really bad. This is one of the ancient enemies of Israel. But she comes to him, but she comes to him in a way that is completely in contrast to the way some of the other people around him are coming to him. You see, how should we come to Jesus? Well, the way we should come to Jesus is that we should come humbly to Jesus, right? And that's what, exactly what she does. She comes, she's coming to him, begging him, crying, have mercy on me. And she refers to him as Lord and, da- and son of David, which is exactly what the Gospel of Matthew lays off in the very beginning. He says, this is the son of David, right? So he's the rightful king who's to lead his people. But she also refers to him as deity when she says, Lord. So she's humbly acknowledging this is the one that can do something. He can save and rescue my daughter who's oppressed by a demon. But in verse 23, but Jesus did not answer her a word. So here's this, one of these ancient enemies of Israel. She comes begging and pleading. And Jesus doesn't answer. And he kind of puts her off, doesn't he? This is a very instructive time for his disciples. So he ha- lets them kind of engage. And the disciples are, are getting a bit frustrated. Uh, he did not answer her, and his disciples came and begged him. They begged him, see, saying, send her away, for she is crying after us. Now notice his answer. His answer is going to actually help us understand what kind of sending away. You know, what, are, are, are they frustrated? Do they just want to, like, like, not bless her, or do they want to bless her? But Jesus' answer is really referring to to a blessing of some sort. But they just want to get it dealt with, you know. In verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
but she came and knelt before him. Now, now look, Jesus starts with the house of Israel first. And Paul actually picks up on that and says that in Romans chapter 1. Right around 15, 14, 15, 16, he says that. It's to, salvation is to Jew first and then the Gentile. This is the order in which Jesus is coming and bringing rest, a rescue plan to his people. In fact, the, when we look at the region to region that Jesus is doing, he actually starts with the Jews and then he starts moving. He's transitioning into Gentile territory. And one of the things that we see here is that this salvation is for all kinds of people. This is what we see, including people like us, Gentile people, which is what we are. We're far more lost than we think we are. And so Jesus says this, but she came and knelt before him in verse 25, Lord, help me. And he answered, here's where it gets a little weird, right? It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now keep in mind, Jesus is not sitting here and it's a little complicated, but he's, he's, he's putting her off. That's what you need to see. He's really just, and then she, her response is amazing. And this really deals with the question, how should we come to Jesus? How should we respond to Jesus? The answer is that we should come humbly to Jesus. That is the answer. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. She said, look, she's not frustrated. Look, she's not angry. She's completely humble. You know what she does? She actually recognizes her place. Now that's meant to sound a little harsh because here's the thing, we need to recognize our place. We are sinners. We are sinners in desperate need of Jesus. We are sinners. Now we are saved by grace and we are saints. We are saints because of his grace. But we come to him broken and miserable like the Canaanite people. She said, Lord, Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And what she's saying is, hey, you know what, if I, just a little bit, if I just get a little bit of your grace, you, you are the one, Lord, that can heal me. You are the one, Lord, that can restore me. She's recognizing where she is. So she recognizes that he and he alone can restore her and restore her, her, her child. And look at Jesus' response to her. And Jesus answered her, oh, woman, Great is your faith. Be it, done for you this, uh, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus' response to her is that she has great faith. And we need to actually see the contrast between this person and the other people that Jesus is interacting with. This is a massive contrast to all the people around him. Now look, I, I want to show you that. I want to take a few moments to show you that. Look, um, so, 29, so 29 through 31, you have... You have Jesus doing all these miracles. And in verse 30, he's addressing the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute and many others. And the people wondered. They, 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 man, they just wondered at what Jesus did. Because what, what happens right after this is, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And this is what they do. They glorify the God of Israel. The author is pointing out, this is a Gentile people. For him to say these words, he, they are crying out to the God of Israel because he's in a Gentile region. In fact, the very next section is so different than feeding the 5,000. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to feed not 5,000, which is probably familiar for you, but 4,000. Now, I'm just going to read it. I'm not, I'm not going to explain every detail. Jesus actually does the, the, a very similar type of miracle. 
But this time, he heals not 5,000, but 4,000, and it's in Gentile land and not Jewish land. The same result occurs that, you know what, everyone is satisfied. But listen to the text. It says this. Then Jesus called his disciples, in verse 32, to him and he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now these three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away, hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few fish. And, the, and, and directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, for broke, he broke them and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and they were all satisfied because it's just like feeding the, the 5,000 right? But now it's the 4,000. And they took up seven baskets, and all these numbers are all different, by the way. They took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men. Do you see that? Besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadna. Jesus is now feeding the 4,000. He's in Gentile land. And the way the Gentiles are responding him are in complete contrast to the way the religious leader of his day are responding to him. You see, look, Jesus is saying to her, look how big your faith is. He says, you have great faith. Look, look, oh woman, how great is your faith. Now look at it in contrast to the small faith of his disciples. Look at, look at um, um, uh, verse, verse 5 in chapter 16. When the disciples reached the other side of the they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? And what he goes on to say is, look, you, you think I'm talking about this, like haven't you seen me feed the 5,000. Haven't you seen me feed the 4,000? And this is a complete contrast. Here is a, the last person on earth that should come to him and receive his mercy and his grace. Because here, here and, and it's in contrast with even the disciples themselves, not uh, the religious people, but also the disciples who have little faith. It's in very stark contrast to the religious leader, leaders who Jesus actually says, they are, in verse 4, an evil and adulterous generation that's seeking a sign. And no sign is going to be given to them. You know, and here's the thing, guys. Every single one of us needs to know this. That we are far more sinful than we think. Yet Jesus' mercy is far more satisfying than we think. We are far more sinful than we think. And yet Jesus' mercy is far more satisfying than we think. Now, I mean that in two ways. On one, on one level, I mean that, um, that it's fulfilling and satisfying. When Jesus feeds his 5,000, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, whether it's Jew or Gentile, the crowds walk away satisfied. What we learn is that the people, people are, will be satisfied by Jesus. And the second thing I mean by is that he's, he's fulfilled. So Jesus' mercy is more satisfying than we think. He certainly satisfies our soul, but he is fulfilled the work on the cross that needs to be fulfilled that we need so that we can be forgiven. Even though we're sinful, there is one who has paid for us. We're far more sinful than we think, but Jesus' mercy is far more satisfying. 
So look, we have all done dumb things, wicked, evil things. Wicked, evil, sinful, adulterous, gross, hypocritical, let me just go on and on, things. The Canaanite people that God told the people of God to drive out of the land needed to be killed. And guess what? You and I deserve death. But Jesus, he comes and he dies on the cross in our place because of our sin. And Jesus forgives our sin and he washes away our sin. And one of the things that Jesus calls us to is to come, but come humbly. Come humbly to him. You see, because we cannot pay for ourselves. The, the Canaanite woman recognizes completely, um, she knows who she is. She knows who she is in terms of the region that she's in and the people that she's interacting with, but she also knows the Jesus that stands before her. So I want to ask you this morning, do you know the Jesus that forgives sins? Or are you still trying to just work harder and try to get yourself forgiven with more work? Or do you know that Jesus forgives you? So you see, there's no one that can forgive you the way Jesus can. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who does that. Now, there's a couple things I want us to just, just see from the humility. Look, one of the big questions of this, the entire, this entire section is this, is, is how are we to approach Jesus? And it, really the answer to that is very simple, is that we ought to and we need to approach Jesus hum with humility. And when we approach Jesus humbly and seek his mercy, um, we also, it should impact our lives in such a way that, you know what, we study the Bible humbly. You know what, that we work in the workplace humbly, and we work with other people humbly, not arrogant, not arrogant like the Pharisees. Look, look at the Pharisees. In chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came in the, to test him. You see that? They came, they came to test Jesus. And they asked him show, to show them a sign from heaven. And you know what his answer was? When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know... Uh, to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So they left and departed there. Hey, look, as followers of Jesus, come to him humbly, but also read his word with humility. Work in the workplace with humility. So that as others watch you, brother and sister, in the workplace, they say, you know, they don't say, man, these Christians are arrogant. They say, dude, these Christians are humble. Man, these, these, these Christians, they know something about mercy. I want to know the mercy that they know in this Jesus that they know. You know, in your, in your home, um, deal with each other. You who are married, you who are married, deal with each other humbly, not arrogantly. I mean, show me a sign right, is typically our attitude. You know, prove it. Show me how much you love me. I mean, that's, that's really what we, we do, right? Um, I don't feel loved enough by you. I mean, you know what, you've got to communicate, you've got to learn to communicate, and you've got to forgive each other, but be humble with each other because this is the only way to approach Jesus, the one who forgives you, and in turn, because Jesus has done this amazing mercy, it just changes our entire, our entire, entire outlook and our entire way of living. So whether it's a workplace or it's your home, 
And you who do are not managing a home, you're, maybe you're single, you, you know what, just like everyone you interact with, just, just be humble with each other among the church. So love each other and deal with each other humbly. And it'll have this massive impact so that the world around us will say, who is this Jesus that they serve? So the Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus, she begs for him to show mercy. Her response is absolutely profound. She doesn't respond with anger. And Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Once again, in complete contrast to everyone around her, even the disciples themselves, they've been around him all this time, and he says, oh, you of little faith. In contrast, by the way, with the Canaanite woman, whose faith is really huge. What is the big difference? Man, they just, they get stuck on these really little things. They're like, we forgot food, Lord. And he's like, have you not seen all of the food that I have provided and you're worried about that? I'm trying to tell you to be careful of this, the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So brothers and sisters, as we approach Jesus, approach him with humility because he cares for you. He loves you. He died for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for uh, my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would just learn how to to humbly come before you with all of life issues, that we would pray to you humbly, that we would interact with others humbly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things we do every week at Branches is we come together to the Lord's table and we take communion and we continue in worship and our giving. And I want you to know, hey, if you're new, like when the offering comes around, if you had a connect card, you fill it out and just place it in there, that would be great. If you're trying to join a group, let us know on the Connect card. If you have a question, fill out the Connect card. But I want to tell you about the Lord's table that we come here to, to celebrate. You guys, Jesus came and he, he died on the cross because of our sin. And Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, he was with his disciples. And he told them, hey, to do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. He took the, the bread and he says, this is my body. It's for you. When you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup as well. And he said, when you, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He wants you to know that this table is for Christians. If you do not consider yourself a Christian, then you, there's no need to come and take from this bread or this cup. As a Christian, we, you just, just watch what Christians do. If you're not convinced you're a Christian, I would love to talk to you about understanding what it means to be a Christian and having the forgiveness of sins through Christ Jesus. But just know, just you don't have to come forward. There's no pressure. You should not come forward. But if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then this table is for you. And by coming and taking these elements, you remember, you proclaim his death until he comes, but you also remember what he's done for you. Come and receive this grace. When you're ready, come.
place that leads the sinner home from death to life forever and sings the song of righteousness by blood and not by merit your grace there reaches far and wide to every tribe and nation has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation by grace i am redeemed by grace i am restored and now i freely walk into the arms of christ my lord Your grace that I cannot explain, not by my earthly wisdom. The Prince of Life without a stain was traded for this sinner. By grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored and now i freely walk into the arms of christ my lord let praise rise up and overflow my song resound forever for grace will see me welcomed home to walk beside my Savior. By grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored. And now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. By grace I am redeemed, by grace I am restored, and now I freely walk into the arms of Christ my Lord. Let's all stand. Come on. 
your own. We are strangers to the world, but not strangers to your throne. We draw near you now with confidence, for all our fears are gone. And when Christ our King returns, we'll meet saints we can never know and forever we will be amazed that you made us your own you have loved us like you love your son we are heirs with christ bought by his Now to him who has made us his own because of what he has done to Christ for our sake and for his glory. Amen. Go in peace, brothers and sisters. Go to the beach, the beautiful.
crazy.